Blog Talk Radio. Another Sunday afternoon, sign guy would do along with the coach with the most coming out from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he has the most because his favorite all-time baseball player is Ned Yost, Coach Mike Jones. Real fast before we jump into things, if you are looking for some professional wrestling today, you can find it with FEW in Greenfield, Indiana today. So make sure you get out there if you're near the Indianapolis slash Greenfield area for that. Also, don't forget the Sign of the Times episode 593 just got uploaded in the last couple of hours, so you can go to the YouTubes and find that. But I want to jump into things today with our guest right away. He is out of the great state of Vermont. Pierre Vachon, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Well, today is your first time with us, so I'm going to lead you off with our traditional first-timer question. How did you get into the business of professional wrestling? Oh, all right. Well, um, so I actually I, I come from a long lineage of wrestling, but my start in the business was uh, over 23 years ago now. God, I think back on that. Um, it's been a long road. Uh, I started out training um, uh, when I got in the business. Uh, my main mentor is Gino Martino, uh, who actually kind of took me under his wing on the road. Uh, you know, I have the Vachon name behind me, but who actually trained me was Gino Martino. He's my main mentor. And started out, you know, it was in my blood being a kid and all the way through. And then... Uh, once he took me under his wing, I started working with Gino, got on the road, and didn't look back. I just have been wrestling for 23 years on the road. Anywhere I could, uh, anywhere the road takes me is where I end up. So. And you like you said, have that uh, lineage, the name Vachon. It is a very, very recognizable name in the world of professional wrestling with, of course, Butcher and Mad Dog Vachon, as well as Luna Vachon. There's been several others in the family. Do you find having that Vachon name has opened a lot more doors for you than what it might have been for you if there was another name involved? Uh, I think so in some ways. Um, in some ways, the name itself, it has its own lineage, and I'm much separated from that lineage and you know where I am now and uh, what we do, so it did open up a lot of opportunities for me, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, it it brought me a lot of work in Canada, 
um, where I did I did a lot of work in Canada over the years, and places that probably, you know, I I like to think my merit. I'm a big man. I'm a I, you know, I'm a good worker, a good wrestler, but uh, that name certainly helped in some areas for me to get in a little easier in places where there's a lot of wrestlers, and uh, uh, having that having that uh, lineage behind me absolutely did help. Like I said in the introduction, you do come from the state of Vermont, and Vermont in the territorial days was part of the WWWF, and there were a lot of shows in Vermont, uh, Montpelier, Manchester, were regular stops. When you look at more recent times, you don't see a lot of the big national companies hitting Vermont as much, but there's been a lot of independent wrestling in and around that area. Do you personally look at the history of professional wrestling in Vermont and kind of study what has taken place in your home state? Oh, absolutely. If you want to go way back, one of the first ever professional wrestling matches in recorded U.S. history was in Vermont at a carnival, actually. Um, uh, so that's an interesting little side note, but, uh, the Vachon family ran the territory here, uh, from Montreal. They ran Grand Prix wrestling in Burlington for many, many years. Um, one of the first American appearances of Andre the Giant was in Vermont when he was Giant John Ferre, when he came down from, uh, Grand Prix wrestling for, with Paul, with Paul Vachon and Ira Blow, I believe came down and actually did shows at the Memorial Auditorium. The biggest reason you don't see a lot of the national companies coming to Vermont anymore, we don't have a big enough arena. uh, Like it used to be, their house shows they could do on a smaller circuit and they were still making a profit margin. Nowadays, the money is so much that we don't have a big enough arena in Vermont that can hold enough people for a big promotion to show up here like a WWE or AEW. Maybe they will. AEW might pop in, but you don't see the big promotions because we just don't have the space. So a lot of what's out here is the is the uh, you know the independent promotions and the the small stuff like that. That is what we see more here now. Um, and yeah, it's it's still around. It's coming back. I ran a promotion in Vermont for about ten years, um, often with many different names with various other promoters and stuff like that. And I've wrestled a lot of shows in Vermont. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting time. Like we're starting to see a resurgence now. We're starting to see independence pop back up in Vermont. I mean, if you want to get real, uh, inside baseball, when it comes to that, uh, triple H's first professional wrestling match was at Memorial auditorium in Burlington. Um, he was wrestling. He just got done training with killer Kowalski and he was doing an independent show that was being brought up, uh, to Burlington and they hired Walter to bring a bunch of his guys up, and it was um, it was technically Triple H's first professional match. Um, not obviously not under Triple H. I forgot what name he was using at that point. But so yeah, so there's a lot of interesting uh, wrestling history here in Vermont. Besides professional wrestling, I know that you have also done work in stand-up comedy. And stand-up comedy and professional wrestling are very similar in a lot of ways as 
far as the performers go, because you're traveling oftentimes hundreds of miles in order to go to the next show. You are your own boss most of the time, you're an independent contractor, you're paid by a promoter to put on the performance. There's a lot of similarities in the two genres. What attracted you to also do stand-up comedy? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's a funny story on how I got into stand-up. Uh, it was because of wrestling. It was actually uh, King Kong Bundy, of all people, got me into comedy. Um, so I, and you're right, wrestling and comedy are, are very similar. And it's very funny, me coming in from wrestling, a lot of these comics have never dealt with carny promoters and, like, all the weird crap that you deal with. So for me, when I start, and I'm still doing comedy, I still do comedy, I still wrestle. Uh, when when uh, when I go on the road for comedy, it just reminds me of wrestling. But for comics, you hear them talk, and some of them complain about the long drives and the because they've never done it before. It's not something they're used to. So for me, it's like, oh well, this is just I'm instead of getting hit with a chair, I'm going to tell jokes, but I'm doing the same kind of drives. But I got into comedy because I was wrestling King Kong Bundy, and uh, we were doing shows together, and he and I were in the locker room talking. And he had just started doing stand-up himself. And I was riding with him, and uh, we were talking about comedy. And, and he said, you should do it, because while we were joking around, I was like, ah, I haven't really, you know, whatever. He's like, ah, come up. I'm doing a show. Do five minutes for me. Like, you know, so I wrote some real – on the ride to this venue, I wrote garbage. I, it was horrible. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. I was nervous. I got up there, and I bombed horribly, but I still had a good time. And then – uh, Jim Loretta, who's a big comedian in Boston, or was a name back in the 80s and 90s, he told me, he's like, keep trying. Uh, he said, don't write, just talk, cut promos, have fun, and go for it. And I did, and now I'm, I started back in 06, and I'm still doing comedy. I'm, you know, I still travel. I do shows when I can. Uh, you know, my plate's pretty full with a lot of different stuff. So, But I love it. It is very similar. You deal with the same crap. You deal with carnies. You deal with good promoters, bad promoters. Weird places, crowds that are different. The only difference is I don't get beat up as much in comedy. So, on the last few years, there's been a lot of professional wrestlers that have delved into comedy. Uh, we even did a theme month on this show with wrestlers that also do comedy and comedians that have yep. delved into the pro wrestling circuit. Uh, you have guys like Rob Van Dam, Mick Foley. Jake the Snake Roberts, a lot of independent wrestlers have all tried comedy in the last few years in addition to wrestling. What do you think it is that really sparked that link between doing stand-up comedy and doing professional wrestling for so many of the people in the business? Well, I'll tell you right now, it's not as painful. <laughs> I mean, um, we're all used to the travel. And the big names have all the big stories, and they already have clout behind them. Like a Mick Foley RVD, they have a huge fan base. And now they can go on stage and get paid really well to just tell their wrestling stories and not get beat up. It's a perfect transition. All professional wrestlers who've been doing this for any length of time and been on the road and traveled, we all have weird, funny stories of being on the road. But with them, they have the same stories I have with a bunch of independent wrestlers or sometimes a name or two that get thrown in, but they have a lot more of that 
the wide audience knows, so they're more marketable, so they can. It's an easy transition for them. Now, you mentioned how in stand-up comedy you're not getting beaten up and you're not getting hit and having things thrown at you by fans. In pro wrestling, the bumps are there, being hit's there. Sometimes fans do throw things, and that leads to injuries, which everyone is going to have to deal with sooner or later in wrestling. What are some of the injuries that you've had to overcome in your career? Oh, geez. Uh, I have a replaced knee. I had a completely destroyed knee um, that had to be uh, reconstructed. I have two broken vertebrae in my back uh, that were fractured that have healed but are still you know, weak that I have to be careful of. Um, I've broken my collarbone, uh, severe separated shoulders, uh, I've broken my hand. I've broken more bones than I can count just from some of the stuff I did, chance, you know, risks I took, and also working hurt. You know, when you're on the road wrestling, you don't get paid if you don't work. So sometimes you got to just suck it up and, you know, you get hurt, and that's just the way it is. And um, you work because if you don't work, someone else is going to take your spot. And then you don't have a job, you know. So, uh, you know, it's it's a little little better now in some ways when it comes to that. Like promotions are a little more connected to their talent. But in reality, when I started out in the early 2000s, you know, 90, 98 technically is when I started. But I don't count my first few years because that was just training and getting myself out there. But, um, you know, you literally – if you are on a show and you get hurt and you had a week to run, you were supposed to do like six shows in a row, uh, you didn't do those other shows, you weren't getting paid. So you kind of had to muscle through it. So a lot of us are going to, a lot of us have nagging injuries that we just deal with and they do catch up with you. And that's another reason why a lot of these guys like a Mick Foley, who's not getting in the ring anymore, can still make a good income by going out and telling his stories and keeping them alive that way. The part of the year we're in currently is the time of year where a lot of promotions everywhere start doing outdoor shows, especially uh, states that are up north. They have a more limited window in being able to run shows outdoors before the weather prohibits it. Do you personally like doing outdoor shows? You know, outdoor shows can be a lot of fun. Uh, The problem with outdoor shows um, is that they, it's so hit or miss. And, you know, um, if the weather, the weather is so dependent for an outdoor show. Uh, If you get a bad rain, you know, rain shows off and a lot of times you don't get paid or, you know, um, you know, you show up and you do a, a show in the rain, you're soaking wet, the ring is just, you know, nasty. And sometimes promoters still want you to try to do a show, and, uh, you know, it depends. Uh, outdoor shows can be fun. Um, you know, it really depends. I mean, I've done – I've wrestled in a Subway parking lot to open up a Subway restaurant, you know. Uh, I've done every weird outdoor show you can imagine. And uh, they're all they all vary. You never know what you're going to get. I like them. They're fun. You get some fun stories out of them, especially when you do the state fairs and the local county fair and stuff like that. Out in Vermont, I can imagine during the winter, 
things can get pretty dicey as far as the weather goes with snow and ice, things of that nature. Obviously, it can affect anywhere, but being up in that part of the country, do you see weather affecting a lot of the wrestling shows? Do you see a lot of cancellations because of weather compared to what you would see if you wrestled somewhere else, or do they normally get to have the shows despite the weather up there? You know, it's you know, it's a good question. It's really hit or miss. I mean, um, we do have cancellations occasionally, occasionally for weather, but honestly, people up here are pretty uh, uh, resourceful and a little rugged. So, a lot of times, what you will have is the show will go on, but you'll have a whole different roster, or we have to like double up matches because some people are driving from a long distance. We don't have a lot of wrestlers in Vermont per se. Um, we a lot of them travel from out of state, so a lot of times a promoter has to quick on their feet. I had to do it when I when I ran regularly. We'd have a lot of guys trying to drive in, and all of a sudden they'd hit you know two feet of snow and they get stuck and couldn't make it. So you had to make do. So we'd have to make a lot of weird tournaments. A lot of guys wrestling under masks, you know, doing double duty. Uh, so you don't see you'll see cancellations, yes, but honestly, a lot of times what you'll see is just a. Uh, a lot of rugged Vermonters will show up and trudge through the snow for some entertainment, and uh, you just have to make the best of it and do what you can and uh, give them the best show possible with what you have. Um, obviously, like you said, you don't have a lot of wrestlers in Vermont, but Vermont's sort of close to a lot of states, so there's wrestlers relatively nearby compared to some areas. Do you think that independent wrestling in Vermont is healthier, not having as many people locally in it because they can draw from the other states and maybe not use the same guys as every other promotion is using? Or do you think that it would be better off if uh, there were more people within Vermont to draw from so you didn't have people that had to cancel due to weather travel issues? Yeah, I mean, it's always easier when you've got people close by. You know, if you've got guys around, guys and girls who are in the area, you can get them booked, you can get them in. Uh, it's not a long drive. Uh, you know, paydays are a little easier to do. Uh, I think it would be better if we had more. But on the other side, like you said, um, you know, if you have, if we had too many promotions running and only a handful of wrestlers working all of them, uh, that can be – Good and bad. It's always good to have exposure, but it's always it's always tricky to protect your product and other and you know other promotions using talent that you use in a different way. Um, it becomes more about communication and trying to work it out, and that's a really hard thing to do. And I wish more independent promotions would actually work together and not work each other's dates. And like you know, if if one guy's a champion in your promotion and he goes and works for uh, other alphabet soup promotion out there in your area, they don't try to uh, make him get beat up and dry and lose in front of their crowd, even though he's a champion in yours. If promoters would work together a little bit, it's not that bad. But the problem is you get too many promoters running in an area, that's when you could run into issues with um, local talent being used differently in different places and not having a consistent kind of feel for the fans that come out. And I think that's the biggest thing is if 
you're going to have local guys. Like, if Vermont could do well if we had more local wrestlers who were professionals traveling and all that, we would do better having that. But we'd also have to have promotions talking to each other and being respectful of each other. And that's a hard thing to do in this business. It can happen, but it's really hard. Most definitely for sure. Well, at this point, my co-host, Coach Mike Jones, is with us. I know Coach has some questions as well, so I'm going to pass you right over to the capable hands of Coach Mike Jones. All right, Coach. Hey, brother. How you doing? Good, my man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on today. So, hey, who are your oh, my heroes? Pleasure. Who are your heroes growing up in sports, music, wrestling, ordinary life, all the above? All right. Well, that's. So I have a lot, I have a really eclectic range of heroes, actually, when it comes to this. Uh, for comedy, I was always uh, Lenny Bruce, Sam Kinison, Richard Pryor, um, uh, Ronnie Dangerfield. Uh, I love those kind of comics. Um, those were heroes of mine. In music, you know, uh, I do some music work, and uh, I was an Elvis Presley fan, but I'm also uh, James Brown you know, Metallica, heavy metal, it's all over the map. I have a wide range. Yeah, so I go everywhere with that. Um, For sports, you know, wrestling-wise, I was a little different when it came to wrestling, like who I loved as as growing up. Um, I like, you know, I love Tully and Arn, you know, the Anderson, you know, Blanchard connection to the Brain Busters, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Magnum TA, loved Magnum TA, Dusty Rhodes, uh, but I also loved, like, the weird gimmicks, like Papa Shango and, you know, things like that, like those kind of, like, 80s gimmicks. I really liked that part of it, like that interesting side. But I also like seeing guys who could just go, like, a, you, you know, I'll watch Dick Murdoch all day long, you know, um, yeah, Stan Hansen, yeah. those kind of guys. Like, guys that they didn't have the cut bodies, they didn't look like, beach, you know, Adonis guys who spent all their day in the gym, but they looked like guys that could beat you in a fight no matter what. And those were the guys yeah. that I was always drawn to, you know, that looked, that looked like they, yeah, they didn't lift weights, but they knew how to punch you in the jaw. And that was like, those were the guys that I was attracted to that concept of, yeah, I don't sit in the gym all day. I, I'm here to fight and that's what wrestling is. So sometimes the fun, flashy, scary gimmicks I like, but I really like that old school, just rough and tumble vibe, which is what I use a lot in my wrestling in the ring is I'm very much that kind of a rough and tough kind of guy. I like, I like to get gritty. I make the joke. I don't, I don't slap my leg. I, I just, I just slap you, you know, like I don't, I don't do flips. I just punch you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I was also Larry bird was also a hero of mine from basketball. I was a big Larry bird fan. Um, you know, I realized that, that and, uh, um, Lawrence Taylor, Refrigerator Perry, you know, I was a bit with football. Those were, like, my guys. Those were the ones that I always, like, looked up to and liked. Nice. Okay. And then did you play sports in high school or growing up? I did. Um, I did a little bit. I, I did a little – I tried a little bit of everything. I was more in theater and all that, but um, I did acting work more than I did athletics when it came to – but I did do some wrestling middle school into early high school – and then I did a little bit of uh, football, and then I tried my hand at basketball, but that was not my thing. Um, and then I just I started doing theater and doing uh, that kind of thing, uh, and that was really what I did most of my 
high school career was theater. I worked out and did some other stuff on the side, but I didn't do organized sports as much. I, I tried it out, and theater was more my thing in high school. And your self-defense background? Uh, well, I, I've done a little training, you know, here and there, and, like, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and stuff like that. But, okay. um, but not, I'm not like a uh, – I'm not some kind of major martial artist. I learned a lot of, like, random pieces and stuff like that and a lot of wrestling and grappling techniques from people as I went on in my life. Okay, and how many different characters have you been? Um, so there's, there's a funny story. I've been, for the last, oh, God, 16, 17 years, I've just been me. I've been Pierre the Beast. But um, the, I'll tell you a funny story. When I first started out in the business, when you're green, when you're first getting in, when you start to show up at shows, you don't always get the kind of you, – you have these grandiose ideas of what you're going to do and what you're going to be and, you know, that kind of thing. And reality sets in and you, that doesn't happen. Uh, sometimes when you show up at a promotion, they just need you to be generic guy whatever and you're going to work whatever. But one of my first matches I ever had, I showed up. I, I had this idea I was going to do this dark character whatever. I had all these ideas. And the guy looks at me and he goes, I need a hillbilly. Uh, we don't have one tonight. Here's some bib overalls. Your name is Big Brawling Hank. And uh, he said, you're going to do, you're going to come out to, don't, don't go messing with a country boy. And uh, you're going to do the do si and you're just going to yell, I'm the fightingest whenever you punch someone. And I was green. I had no idea. I'm like, okay. So I did that for like a hot minute for one promotion for a bunch of shows. Um so I, I've only done a couple of actually. The other character I did for a long time was a gimmick called Extreme. I was I had a skull faint. I was face painted up like a skull, like a big skull makeup gimmick, and uh, I talked in tongues and had a manager that would whip me, and I was like a monster gimmick. Uh, and then after that, I you know I went to just being me. You know, like I I did the fun gimmicks, and I've done some hooded characters here and there, you know, for shows like if they needed me to double up. I wrestled, you know, twice in the night. I put a hood and an outfit on and uh, go out. But for the most part, I've just been me most of my career. Okay, nice. And who are some of your favorite people to work with? Oh, God, so many. Uh, Gino Martino, uh, if you find him online, uh, Extreme Strongman, he's my mentor and also one of my favorite guys to work. I had a blast working uh, Tommy Dreamer and Rhino, Just Incredible, those guys are great. Uh, King Kong Bundy, uh, I worked him a few times, you know, over the years, and we were friends, uh, R.I.P. Chris, but he was so much fun to work. Yeah, I loved wrestling him, loved getting in the ring with him. We always had a good time. We always had a good fight. Uh, I'm trying to think. Spike Dudley was incredible, uh, one of the most fun guys to, to wrestle and work with. Um, on the indies, there's a million of them, but, you know, I'm I'm just throwing out some of the big ones. But there's so many guys that I love to just get in the ring with and have some fun with. Uh, a guy named Big Vigo out of Vermont, uh, who one of my – I helped train him over the years. I was one of his mentors. But I have a lot of fun. He's another big man. We get in the ring, and we just we just go at it, and it's just – it's a lot of fun. We Okay. And, and uh, one of our – segments we have is called favorites i'm sure sign guy and the rest of the fans would like to know what your favorite coffee to drink is ah well i'm about to surprise you i don't drink coffee my i drink tea 
and my favorite tea is Earl Grey. Okay, and then we've been getting about a 45, almost a 45% no coffee rating in the last couple ah. of years. So, yes, it's no yeah. surprise there. Okay, and then ah. staying on the f- favorites, what's your favorite concerts you've seen? Oh, my favorite concert I saw, and and I was so young, I I, you know, I was young, and I didn't really appreciate it until later. I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan right before he died, before that helicopter crash. Um, wow! I got to see him. I got to see him in Vermont. He came to Memorial Auditorium in the early '90s, uh, right before he literally like months before the crash. And I loved it. I was young, and I loved that concert. But man, now that I think back on it, it's still my favorite like concert because I of the of how you know hard it you know. You can't, there's no chance to see that ever again. So Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. And then what's your favorite sports teams? Oh, all right. Well, for hockey, I don't know who I'm going to anger, but I'm a, I'm a Bruins guy for the hockey. Um, so we'll see uh, We'll see who flares up on your show. <laughs> you say Bruins, <laughs> it kind of angers people. Uh, for football, I'm a Giants guy. I'm New York Giants. That's another one that likes to get people riled up. Um Basketball, I'm a Celtics guy. I'm a New England guy for most of my stuff, really. Um, uh, baseball, I'm a Red Sox guy. So I'm, if you have Yankee fans, they're going to get all riled up. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, don't worry, Yankee fans. There's a cream for that. You can get over it. Uh, but, no, I'm a Boston <laughs> fan. So Okay. And then uh, what are some of the most memorable matches you've seen in your life and that that's any method of watching it, VHS, tape, CD, YouTube, live, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of my most memorable matches uh, live, live, there's a few of them, but li- I'll start with live. Live, one of my favorites of all time, I saw Steamboat and Savage in Vermont at Memorial Auditorium on a WWF house show. Uh, but they they were doing – they were doing – it's funny. I didn't realize how they worked this until later in life when I got in the business. But they were working the whole angle with the throat and the bell yeah. at the time before it was on TV. They were doing it at house shows, like, you know, like doing stuff with it. Um, and, like, they were teasing it. And so I saw I saw them at uh, Memorial Auditorium in Vermont, and that was a very memorable match for me. I just remember – I remember Macho Man punching someone in the crowd – like he went out into the crowd and some fan got in his face. And I remember him punching a fan and ripping up his sign and just, you know, for that, one of my favorite filmed matches and this one hard to find, but it's one I use when I teach uh, young, young wrestlers that are coming into the business. And I tell them to watch this if they can find it. Tito Santana and Jesse Ventura in Madison square garden on one of the old WWF. Um, oh yeah. Uh, shows when they do the televised Madison Square, like pay-per-view, direct, whatever, closed circuits. Well, they had a match, and I tell young wrestlers to watch this match for just the amazing – they did not touch each other for probably eight minutes in the match, and that crowd, you went insane when they put a headlock on. You would have thought that Hogan slammed Andre at that moment. Uh, it was that kind of like energy, and they built it up and got everybody just wanting Tito to get a hold of Jesse so bad because Jesse was just dodging him every second and like stalling. And the way they did it was so amazing. 
And I remember watching being glued to my seat and being excited to see a headlock put on. And that was like a, it's a great like lesson for young wrestlers, like to, you know, to learn from. Yes, definitely. I was blessed to see the Macho Man Steamboat in the Tacoma Dome back during that same run. And then also, yes, my goodness, uh, Jesse Ventura calling him Chico. That got that riled up really quick. Yeah, and then they kept it up. And then, like, in the match, they never touched each other. Chico kept going at him. He'd get in the ropes. He would flex. He would hide. He'd get out of the ring and, like, do the eight count and roll back in and then roll back out and uh, go Tito to come out. He'd chase me, go back in, and he'd leave. It was just so well done that they had that crowd so excited to see any type of action. As soon as it started after, like, eight minutes, that crowd erupted just for the most basic stuff. And that's what I try to teach younger wrestlers is to watch that kind of wrestling and see how you can get a big emotion out of people that yeah. doesn't require doing 500 flips. You know, you can do it with exactly. just stuff like exactly. that. And, man, you've wrestled many legends, but we're excited to hear about the most memorable matches you've been involved with. <laughs> um, well, like I said, King Kong Bundy and I did a bunch of matches together. Uh, that was a – we had great runs together. Those were very memorable for me. Uh, one of my biggest matches for memorable, which was a wild match, I was in this I was in this uh, eight-man tag – or six-man tag. Was it six or eight? It might have been an eight-man tag. I'm trying to remember who was on it. Uh, no, it was a six-man. Uh, myself, a gentleman named Chip Stetson – and just incredible, we're wrestling Rhino, Tommy Dreamer, and an amazing indie, indie wrestler by the name of Bobby Ocean. And uh, who, uh, why that guy hasn't gotten a contract, I have no idea, but that's a whole other story. Um, uh, but we were in a six-man tag. It was a wild match. It was an elimination match. Um, halfway through, Rhino and I were going at it, and all of a sudden Tommy Dreamer came out and just uh, leveled me with a kendo stick all over the arena. Uh, wild match. People were really into it. Uh, and for like a, uh, I used to do a lot of hardcore matches. I got signed up in a lot of the, like those kind of matches in the late mid two or early two thousands. Cause that's where the money was. I had a, I had a big match with a legendary death match guy, Necro Butcher, uh, who wow. was in the wrestler and, and, uh, he and I, and it was a, it was a tag team tornado death match. And, uh, so we had a pretty, uh, wild encounter. It involved a fish raft and barbed wire and all kinds of weird stuff. So, uh, but those were some of my most memorable, I would say. And also, uh, Spike Dudley, uh, wrestling Spike. He, he had, was such a great, like, uh, guy to get in the ring with. And I've wrestled Tito. Um, Tito's a great, you know, a lot of the legends were very memorable for me because they're all ones I grew up with. And then being able to get in the ring with them and square off and, uh, you know, entertain crowds with them was always an honor for me. Nice. And then, man, you, with that, with those legends you've mentioned, who are some of the toughest opponents you've wrestled? Oh, God. Uh, well, besides Gino, I can go um, – I'll tell you one of the toughest guys I got in the ring with um, for one uh, one run where I was like, oh, man, this this guy, he's he's a tough one, Is uh, was Axe Demolition, Bill Eady. Um, okay, I yeah. Did a, I did some work with him uh, up in Canada, and he was he was a tough one. I had a couple, uh, you know, I was just doing run-ins on his, but he was rough. Uh, you know, tough guy, legit great wrestler. 
but also like tough as nails. Um, but I would say for like tough guys, uh, Necro Butcher, you know, um, that man, I don't know how he did, how he survived what he survived, but he was one of the toughest guys I ever stepped in a ring with. Um, just, just a, a machine of a, like, he could take a beating, like, you know, it was, it was unheard of. <laughs> wow, I know. And then that, it's really hard to describe, right? Yeah, I can't even, words came and put it in, I'm tough, and I know I'm tough in the business, I'm I'm a tough guy in wrestling, I can handle a lot. But man, that guy, that guy, you know, he put you through your paces without question. And, uh, and he was just the energizer bunny of pain. Like, you, you hit him, and it was like, wow, nothing seems to phase him. He just keeps going. <laughs> exactly. Okay, hey, what are your suggestions for people wanting to get into the business? Okay, that's, uh, that, that's a loaded question, and I'm happy to hit it. So uh, the first thing I'm going to tell you is go to a reputable school. Um, there's a lot of fly-by-night wrestling schools out there these days. A lot of... Uh, you know, guys who have three weeks of training who just are like, screw it, I'm going to open up my own. And then they go open up a school, and then they teach you their watered-down version of whatever. Make sure wherever you go, if you're going to go to a wrestling school and get trained, um, what you need to do is you need to do check credentials, see who they've, re- who they've trained, guys who are out there working full-time and actually getting decent opportunities or, you know, check where they come from because, man – there are so many bad uh, wrestling schools out there, guys who don't even know what they're doing, um, that it kills wrestling because then those those guys show up in a ring and they don't know what they're doing. They can hurt somebody or hurt themselves more than anything because um, they do things completely wrong because they haven't been trained properly. We deal with a lot of that in the business. So if you're going to do it, go out and do it right. Find a good trainer. Also know that invest in yourself. Work out. Um, if you're not like, you don't have to be an Adonis, but at least be able to run on a treadmill and be able to get in a ring and work, um, get good wrestling gear, spend the money on yourself and test on yourself. Um, that's the, the biggest advice I can give. And, uh, one of the things, if you're going to get into school, watch old wrestling tapes, watch over, not new stuff. I, I tell people to watch the old school stuff, the golden age, the, or the mid South, the AWA, the NWA. Um, you know, Smoky Mountain, that kind of stuff. Watch the wrestling, mat- watch matches over and over, and just watch how they do what they do, and learn from the learn from the history. Don't just think because you learn twelve moves that you're a wrestler. Definitely. And then, what schools would you suggest? So there's a couple. Um, I'm in New England, so I don't know where you all are completely booked out of, like for your, uh, where you run your main stuff out of. But um, in New England, there is the New England Professional Wrestling Academy. Um, there's a, a one in New Hampshire, the Elite, I think it's called Elite Professional Wrestling Academy. Um, used to be Chaotic Wrestling, but now it's New England Pro Wrestling Academy. Um, chaotic Wrestling was Walter Kowalski's school. And, uh, one of his old students took it over and is now, you know, I mean, one of, one of the, that school is where Sasha Banks came out of, um, you know, she was trained out of that area. So, uh, and Walter Kowalski's name is connected to it still, even though it's a different owner, but still part of it all, um, you know, and you got to think how many legends came out of, 
you know, Walter Kowalski school. So um, I can't recommend those enough. Like New England Pro Wrestling Academy, um, the Elite Pro Wrestling Academy in New Hampshire, I think it's called. Uh, check those out. Those are two that I would plug as, as having good trainers who know what they're doing and have been around a long time. It can really get you into the business the right way so that you have a good leg up. Anybody can get in the business, but if you start out on the bad side, it's a lot harder to get move forward. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and then let me see. Who are some up-and-comers that people should keep an eye on? Well, I'm going to tell you, I uh, there's there's a few that I, from my area, that I see that I'm like, man, these guys, there's a kid, uh, he's been around for a little while, but Jimmy Limits, I, he's a uh, shout-out to Jimmy Limits. Um, check him out if you find him online. He's out of Boston area, super strong, like, talent that just hasn't gotten – He's got a lot of potential. Bobby Ocean, I can't say enough about Bobby Ocean. Um, Bobby Ocean's one of those guys, a smaller guy, but he's jacked and just an amazing hand in the ring. Uh, why that guy has not gotten a contract yet, I have no idea. But um, Bobby Ocean's an up-and-comer. He's been around a long time, but he's, I call him an up-and-comer in that his, he's due. His, his time is due. And I think he needs to be uh, recognized and get that push. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys that have recently, and if I leave guys' names out, I apologize to them in advance because if they yeah, hear this yeah. or go tune in, they'll write me angry, and I'll I'll deal with their heat in the locker room. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, it's all good. Well, you're, but you're on the spot, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they'll all get they'll they'll get over it. But uh, no, there's a lot of great hands out there right now that are just uh, really ripping it up in the industry. And, uh, you know, uh, I think there's some guys that just need to get their due, you know, that haven't had the chance. And that's the way the business is. You know, there's some, there's some guys that have been around for 20 years who should have had the opportunity and just, you know, they're still doing their thing on the indies, but haven't really gotten that big break. And, you know, a great example who's been around there for a little bit now is Ivar uh, from the Viking Raiders. I've known him. I wrestled him way back when he used to wrestle as Handsome Johnny. And, He'd been in the business for 10, 12 years or maybe even more than that before WWE picked him up. You know, he'd been all over the place. So it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a while to get recognized. But um, those are those are a couple of names off the top of my head of guys I've seen recently that I know that are got a lot of potential. Okay, right on. Hey, I'm sure Sign Guy has a lot more for you. And I want to wish okay. you all the luck in the world. I thank you so much for your time and for coming on. Oh. My pleasure, Coach. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Coach. Well, Pierre, one of the things that a lot of wrestlers, when they start, don't really put a lot of thought into is their actual travel bag that they use for bringing gear and merchandise and so forth with them experienced wrestlers and wrestlers that travel by plane quite a bit know that a good bag is vital. For your own career, did you have any go-to either type of bag or brand of bag that you gravitated towards for your own personal use? Oh, I thought you were about to start a plug for a sponsor you have or something. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe afterwards. No, I, uh, yeah, there you go. I I was I used to use a small um, 
Samsonite luggage style, like rolly bag, like rolling suitcase that I could fit on. My biggest thing is on, if I had to fly, my most important thing to me, it was actually kind of reversed. I always wanted to make sure that my gear got on the plane, not in a bag that was on carry-on or like in the under part in case it got lost. So I would always put my my regular gear, my like day-to-day clothes in that bag and on the on the uh, flight with me in my carry-on was always my wrestling gear, my base, my boots, my, you know, singlet, you know, or whatever I was wearing, whatever I could fit in one of those. That, I used a rolly uh, uh, Samsonite-style bag for a long time, like Samsonite luggage bag that had the rolling and the handle. I, I lived by that because it was small enough. I could get it on a plane. I could get all my gear in it. And uh, and if I had to, if I had to actually put a bag on, you know, extra, I would have that have all my regular clothes in it. Because the way I looked at it is, I had a pair of clothes on me. I could always wash those in the laundry. But it's hard to find gear in a new town when you get there. And if your boots are gone, you're screwed. You know, you don't have them. So I always used one of those. And or I also liked. Um, I used to carry a little uh, like hockey style duffel bag sometimes. Because that was easy for me to, you know, throw in the back of a trunk, and it's, you know, it was a little more compact. But for the most part, it was rolling suitcases. That was my, uh, that was my big one. Little rolling suitcases were always the go-to. Easy to haul. You know, my gear. I used to have. And I still do. I have a big dog collar and a big chain I wear. So that got heavy carrying around in a bag. So at least in one of those wheelie bags, I could save my my muscles a little bit on the walk. Now with newer wrestlers, uh, do you sit down with them and discuss traveling and things that you've learned over the years on how to successfully travel, etiquette when traveling with wrestlers, things of that nature? Or do you think the new generation isn't really picking up on that? Uh, I think so. I actually, you know, the... The new generation is a little different now. They're staying a lot closer to home than they used to. Um, but I tell young guys all the time, you know, what uh, ideas, you know. Um, you know, like I try to give them, you know, things that they can do, uh, you know, or advice. And a lot of them, a lot of young guys are still very receptive. But I do notice some of the younger generation – is kind of, and I think we all were stubborn at one point in our, you know, when we first started out, we all thought we had a, you know, we had it all figured out. And sometimes you got to learn the hard way. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think a lot of them will listen, um, you know, for the most part. But I think some people they just have to learn uh, the hard way. Uh, but I do try to, uh, you know, give them advice. You know, try to give them some ideas you know, on what to do or just, hey, you want to save some money, try this. Or when you ride together, you know, like simple rules, like when you ride together, one, someone has to always stay awake with the driver, you know, so that the driver, because if you got a driver who's doing long distance, someone should stay awake with them to help keep them awake and, you know, talk with them or whatever. So, you know, everybody chips in for gas, everybody, you know, that kind of stuff. Try to get the young guys, to, you know, to, to know the basic rules of, you know, and there is some old stuff, old guard stuff that's changing nowadays. It used to be way more veteran based of like, well, you know, if a vet, um, if a, you know, vet gets the front seat or vet gets this or, you know, whatever, 
that stuff's changed a little bit, but still it's, I try to teach all the, the basic etiquette to young guys when I'm, when I'm in locker rooms with them. I hope they hear it. Some do, and I'm sure some don't, you know. Uh, you've been around long enough in the industry, not only wrestling but with comedy. I'm sure it applies to each. Sometimes fans can be a little bit different and can cross barriers that you hope they don't cross. Have you ever had any particularly strange fan encounters? Oh, I've had quite a few strange fan encounters. Uh, Fans get – I love wrestling fans. Sometimes they buy into it a little too much. I had a – I had a stalker for a while in wrestling, wrestling fan stalker in an area that – to the point where they actually found out – they were in Boston area. I live up in Vermont. And they found out where I lived – and uh, where I worked in Vermont and started showing up in Vermont at, like, you know, inopportune times to come see me because they wanted to, you know, uh, hang out with me because they were big fans of mine. And uh, I had to, had to you know, put the kibosh on all that. I've had, I've had fans attack me when I've been working, and they got mad. I've had fans strike at me, spit. You know, we had, we've had a lot of interesting encounters over, you know, 20-something years I've had fans roll in the ring in the middle of a match, and we had to kind of flatten them. Uh, you know, you know, we've had that kind of stuff. Uh, you name it, it's happened. In, in wrestling, when you've been in it long enough, you've seen a little bit of everything, and nothing surprises you anymore. Now, traditionally, when a fan hits the ring, it's the referee that stops them first because the referee – or anyone that knows is the first line of defense. Oh, yeah. Do you have a lot of referees that you worked with that you knew if somebody hit the ring, they were going to be able to take care of it at least long enough to get help there? Or were you worried with the referees you worked with that if something happened, they weren't going to be able to stop something? Um, I've had both, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of referees refer, – the referee's job is one of the toughest jobs in the business, and good referees are hard to find, and good referees don't get enough respect. Um, first of all, I just want to say that. So any of my ref friends or any wrestling refs out there who hear this, know that I love you and appreciate you more than you know. Um, a good ref is hard to find. Uh, I have had many – matches with refs that I knew would not be able to take care of a situation if it happened. But I've also had refs that I know um, would be able to take care of it and would handle it for me. No problem. You know, um, I've had a mix of both and I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of a time where a ref had no idea what to do. And I got in a, I was in a bad spot in the ring. So I was doing a match and there was a, uh, a female wrestler who came into the match and was trying to save the, the guy I was beating up. And I was doing a monster gimmick extreme at the time. So I was kind of all over the map and this female wrestler came in and I had to body slam her. Like I had to throw her basically. And I did. And then I went back to the beat down that I was doing. And then uh, security was supposed to rush in and like pull me off or whatever they were. That's what their plan was. 
Well, I was in the ring. I was working away, working away, working away. And what they, what the security outside was told was a woman was going to run into the ring, and then I was going to slam her, and then they're supposed to come in. Well, I slammed that person, and then all of a sudden, there's another woman in the ring, and she's, and I know she's not, she's a fan, and she's got me, she's turned me around, and slapped me, and she's screaming at me, and she's grabbing me, and I'm like, I can't beat this woman up, and I'm like, and the ref is just staring at us. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, ref, what? I was literally trying to, like, signal the ref, like, get over here and do something. And the ref was just, like, watching, didn't even know what to do. And uh, and finally security came in and got her off. And I, I went in the back and I had a talking to with that ref. And I explained to him, I said, you're my line of defense. You know, you're supposed to stop that stuff before it gets to me. You know, like, you, you should have, you know, and had a real talking to with that ref about what their place was if someone comes in. But there's been times where people have rushed the ring. Ref was, was ref had their back to him. I saw it. I charged him and knocked him out, pushed him right back out of the ring before they got in, and then told the ref to keep an eye on him while security got to him. So there's there's great refs out there, and there's some that are they're good referees, but they don't know how to do that kind of thing. And uh, I think that's something that all refs should be trained in at some point. Well, we're down to the last few minutes of the show today, and I want to make sure you have ample time. If there is anything you would like to say to the listeners, if you want to plug and promote anything and everything from social media to appearances to merchandise to your favorite seafood restaurant, anything at all, the floor is yours. <laughs> no, sure. Thank you. Well, first of all, I want to big, give a big shout-out uh, to one of my favorite places I work at. I do a lot of comedy and events at is the Middlebury Marquee Theater in Middlebury, Vermont. Check them out. They do a lot of great shows. Show them some love on social media. Tell them Pierre sent you. Um, they, they're a great theater. Uh, they do a lot for the community, so I just want them to get some props out on the, in the world. You can find me on all the social media. You can find me at Facebook. You can find me. Uh, just look up Pierre the Beast, uh, at Pierre the Beast. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, all that. I've got a bunch of projects coming up. Uh, if you find me on Pierre the Beast on Facebook, friend me. Uh, you'll find a friend. You know, friend request me. I have a lot of projects that I advertise through there. Uh, I do a lot of. I make props for TV and movies and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, I have a lot of other projects going on. So come check out my stuff. I'd love to meet you. Talk wrestling. I got a lot. I got shows coming up in the next couple months. Uh, so uh, I'll have my booking schedule up for comedy. You can book me through there as well. Book me for comedy. Book me for wrestling. Uh, I travel pretty much anywhere. So if you're interested, find me. I'd love to be a part of a show. Well, Pierre, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. We appreciate you taking time to do so. And best of luck to you and best of health to you. And hopefully we'll get to do this again. Absolutely. We'd love to be on again. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, fans, definitely check out Pierre Vachon. Jump on the YouTube, look him up. Great talent. He's been around for a while. I think you will enjoy watching him if you have not at this point. Coach, you have some things to plug, promote, say as we wrap up today. Yeah, you guys can check me out at Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most. Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for hundreds of interviews from celebrities all over the world. 
And then, of course, the Coach Mike Jones Show podcast every Saturday at noon Pacific. Yesterday, another great show with the guys from Seattle Sports Union. We had our second annual sports review, and, man, it was fun. And uh, we were telling some prophecies yesterday from last year, so nice to hear that. Anyway, thanks for all you guys' support, love, feedback, for QT and JD for creating Turnbuckle, for Sign Guy for getting me on here and helping me with my own show. Thank you guys, everybody. Appreciate it. All right, fans. Don't forget, next week on Friday, we have Ace Montana with us. And then one week from this very day, we have Washington State's own, that 90s kid, Madsen Murphy. So make sure you have plans to be with us. Everybody stay safe out there. Get out, support your local independents if you have some near you. And we will talk to you soon. Oh, God.